Hi friends, and welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. In 1978, Dr. Dixon was asked to serve as president. He admits he had not served in leadership, so he was taken aback at the Board of Trustees' decision to appoint him to lead Cedarville. Dr. Dixon promised his wife, Pat, they would commit to two years to see if the Lord's hand was on their decision. After 25 years serving as president and 18 years as chancellor, it appears his answer was clear. We are so excited to have Dr. Paul Dixon on the Cedarville Stories podcast. Now here's your host, Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I am Mark Weinstein, and today's program, as I mentioned when I had Dr. Paul and Pat Dixon in my office to record this podcast, that it's a daunting challenge because they both have so much to share and the podcast is relatively short. I hope you enjoyed the podcast with Mrs. Dixon and a little bit of Paul as well. For today's program, I'm primarily uh, focusing on Dr. Paul Dixon, but that doesn't mean you won't hear from Mrs. Dixon. I know you will. So let me uh, start with a question to you, Dr. Dixon. I'm really curious, uh, since Pat joined Cedarville before you, how long did it take you to gain your own identity and not be known as Mrs. Dixon's husband? Well, that's a that's a good question. Uh, I, I'll tell you, I always had so much respect for her right. and was glad for any recognition that she received from the beginning right to this point. And I would say that because Dr. Jeremiah would have me come in and speak in chapel so often, there was a, a certain attachment to me even before I became president. I just loved college students. And so when I would come in and speak for a week, I'd go with the basketball team yeah. as they played their games. I would, I would eat my, take my meals in the dining hall and eat with the students. So it And you it, go into the dorms to to meet with the men, talk to the students too. I can still remember we had a dorm where Dan Estes, mm-hmm. Professor Estes and Professor Dolph okay. were students in and I can still remember sitting in that dorm with these very bright students asking me questions and so forth. I didn't have all the answers, but I really loved interacting with them. What do you think, uh, in, at least in your earlier goings, um, was the secret for you to really start your presidency strong? I, I assume it could be a multiple things. Probably just your, your um, oneness with Pat would be part. I mean, she was a great supporter for what you were trying to achieve and do at the university. But I have to think also uh, your smooth transition with Dr. Jeremiah had to play a key role. Oh, it did. In fact, the infamous picture yep. of the two of us that yep. was taken right after I became president and we are in step. Yep. That wasn't planned, but whoever took it caught us perfectly in step, and that was symbolic of how we were and all of the years that we served together. Well, he went home to be with the Lord. He was 87 years old. Uh, when I became president in 1978, you know, he was like uh, 64, and so we served all those years together. Uh, I love the man to this day. 
Yeah. I loved him. I endeavored to spend my life honoring him. Mm. That was what I wanted to do. And you have to understand that what ha- what we shared became such a model for people, whether it was one pastor following another pastor. But right. in higher education, there almost wasn't a model like this. But we became that. It was the grace of God, but it was also we were very different personalities, yet we had so much respect for each other. And uh, I don't know that he ever said a negative thing about my ministry. And we were, so many things happened. On his bed in the hospital before he went in for the surgery that took his life, Mm. I walked in, we chatted a while, and then he said to me, I'll never cease to thank God for the way he has used you. Mm. I knelt down and kissed his forehead said goodbye, and that was it. And then at his funeral in the Jeremiah Chapel, uh, I got alone with the casket, and I just put my hand on the casket and cried Mm. and thanked the Lord for him and thanked him for being such a friend. What was it about Dr. Jeremiah's character that resonated with you so well? Well, he, he uh, He was a very strong personality, he was a, a a godly man. We'd go on trips together, and early in the morning, he would be up reading his Bible. There was a measure of humility about him. I always had a problem with quote-unquote big men, successful men who took themselves seriously. James T. Jeremiah never took himself seriously. He gave God all the credit and... Yeah. Just thankful for it. Yeah. So um, a, a snapshot of your presidency, especially early, I'll, I'll say, it, um, you were at odds, not, not you personally, but um, you were trying to keep Cedarville stable. And at the same time, you're trying to change Cedarville to whatever the Lord had for Cedarville. How were you able to balance those two situations that are at odds with each other so that you could achieve the successes that the Lord blessed you with? Well, again, what happened, you have to remember, I was green as grass. I'd been an evangelist for 14 years. When those trustees interviewed me, I said, this is about the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> I said, you got the wrong guy. This is the Peter principle at work. Yep. I've never led anything. I've not been a pastor of a church. The only thing I've ever led is my personal life and my family and the ministry as an evangelist. But when they asked me to seriously consider it and pray about it, I took my trusty seven-star diary and started making a list of what I would do and what would be important to me as president. And so when I had the interview, the final interview with the search committee, I just read them those things. And, uh, they asked me to leave the room, came out and there at the Holiday Inn in Springfield and said, we just voted unanimously to recommend you to the whole board, but bring that book with you when you come. Wow. And so when I walked out for the whole board meeting, I told Pat, I said, hon, uh, I'll give it two years. First of all, the vote, there can't be two negative votes or I won't take it. Okay. 
and then I'll give it two years, I still think it's they're making a bad decision. But I said, I love this place too much to ruin it. Mm-hmm. And I'll know in two years whether I need to be here or not. And so in the province of God, we stayed. But I have this thing. I, I've always loved the whole principle of leadership. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, don't come from a background of leadership, but it, it all happened. I, people ask me if I envisioned what hap- was going to happen in those 25 years. There wasn't any way that yeah. I saw that. So I, I just do have the strong belief that you have to have change in every organization, but don't have so much change that you disrupt the culture. Yeah. And you always honor the past. Always. And that's what I did was endeavored to honor the people and the process of the past and somehow all that worked together. So let's let's go back. Let's let's unpack this a little bit. So you're you told your wife you're gonna be here, you're gonna give it two years. Mm-hmm. What what happened in those two years that made you say, Okay, I'm in this for the long haul? Well, it just everything just started exploding like, positively. What's everything? Yeah, uh, that that means that we, we were in a midst of, I inherited a capital campaign for the athletic center. Okay. And God started sending people in my life who would help pay for the athletic center. And we didn't have the money to pay the people who were putting the steel up and steel sat out there. We couldn't finish the building. The steel is sitting out there, and God, nobody would touch us. Interest rates were 22%. Wow. And no bank would touch us. And in the providence of God, Society Bank came in and said, we'll help you. Things like that just happened all the time as far as funding, as far as the attitude of the faculty. I mean, I'm not an academic person. But they knew I loved them. Yeah, knew I cared about them, and so the whole spirit of the student body and the faculty and how you would, and then I'll tell you a really fascinating. I walked into my first board meeting. My first year, we were down sixty-five students. That's big. When yeah. you look at it financially, we're down. We had, it, the previous year they'd had, you know. 1,250 students, and we got roughly 1,185 students. And I walked into the faculty meeting, and I said, here's where we are. I'll be open and honest with you. Is it going to cost us? Oh, yeah, $700,000. And there's several ways to cope with this. Number one, the way most would cope with it is you'd cut the budget. That's just sound financial principles, but I'm not going to do that. Number two, you can just say, well, we're going to stay where we are. And we're going to muddle through, and we're going to get through this. I said, we're not going to do that either. I said, we're going to grow. I said, we're going to spend more money. We're going to start some new programs. This is the best-kept secret in America. We're mm-hmm. going to get start publicizing. This. They had taken the recruiter off of the road. I said, we're going to put a recruiter back in because things were growing. Yeah, That's another story as to what was happening in higher education back in the mid-'70s to late-'70s. And uh, growth was so great. What I didn't know at the time, they were predicting that 40% of all the private colleges in America would either close or merge in the next 10 years. Yeah. 
And so we get that first, you know, sit down 65 students. I walk into the trustee meeting and I said, I want to build three dormitories. Wow. And I know they thought, we made such a big mistake hiring this evangelist who wants to build three dormitories wherein we're in the hole financially. And they beat that thing around. And finally, my friend Bill Brock spoke up and said, would you take one? I said, yeah, but it's a big mistake. And when I say three, you have to remember those were wings, wings onto printing, you know, et cetera. When the school year started, we had to bring in mobile homes. We grew 150 students that next fall. We made up the 65, went on, and then the money and everything. So you ask me what happened in those two years, that's kind of it. Uh, it, it, yeah. it, it, was, it was a God thing, yeah. and I realized that somehow God had enabled me in some of those areas. Yeah. When I came to campus with a different university for a basketball game, one year I saw a building going up. I remember a year later, I'm coming to the Cowan Athletic Center for another game, and the Dixon Ministry Center is very early in its process. I'm thinking, what is going on here? During your tenure, if my, my stats are right, uh, you invested, or your administration invested $100 million in facilities and, and campus expansion, and, and the campus actually grew from 180 acres to 400 acres. That's phenomenal. That's unheard of. But it's all God, right? Oh, Absolutely. Uh, and as I often say, I want to be careful. I get credit for all of that. I'm not that smart, but I had a good administrative team, yeah. and we were a team. And so with all of those people around me, I I often say they made me look good. Yeah. Well, but uh, your Cedarville, or our Cedarville colleagues throughout the decades cite your emphasis on chapel and your challenging sermons is two of the most significant characteristics of your presidency. Do you agree? Well, I, yeah, I do. I, I used to say it, I still say it, the heartbeat of every Christian college is chapel. If you want to find out what a Christian college is all about in your tour, show up for chapel. Yeah. Because the history of Christian higher ed is they lose their mission when they begin to de-emphasize chapel. So from the beginning, that was a major emphasis. I wanted to have top-notch speakers from around America. I didn't want to just have a pastor come in because his church supported the church, uh, the school. Yeah. Uh, I wanted the music be top-notch. I wanted people to look top-notch on the platform. Yeah. Everything we emphasized was this is the most important hour of the day. Yeah. And that's what I, to this day, it's what I hear from alumni mm -hmm. and so forth. How, don't you think so, honey? Yep. They'll say, every day at 10 o'clock, I reflect on this is when I'd be in chapel. Yeah. We do hear that a lot. Yeah. It is it's it's it is the heartbeat of Cedarville University. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take you long to uh, go to school here or work here, and you know that's that's the central heartbeat. Mm -hmm. So as, as you can see, uh, while we're doing this recording on my desk, I have a uh, Dr. Paul Dixon bobblehead. Uh, I, I leave it on my shelf right next to the Mike DeCurtsy bobblehead. But the, mes <laughs> the message says quality stamped all over it. What made this phrase important to you that 
got the campus community to buy into it? Well, that was probably on my list when I first was interviewed by the trustees as to what would be important and that whole thing of quality and excellence. I just believe deeply that the scriptures, when God created, he created with excellence. And so everything we do in ministry has to have that. And so it was early on and we just started, you do it mainly in a positive way. But if there are some things that don't reflect that excellence, you quietly go to whoever's responsible and say, we probably need to tweak that. Yeah. It needs to go to a whole new level. And, and again, I'd say with Pat, you know, she's been a person of excellence. Right. And, and so she had a tremendous influence on me. Yeah. Um, another Dr. Paul Dixonism, so to speak, it, um, like the quality stamped all over it, is the song, Christ is All I Need. Yeah. yeah. Why is that song so meaningful and important to you guys? Go ahead. One of the things is we had, when we were at Tennessee Temple, and Temple, we have to, I didn't get saved till I was a senior in high school. Wow. And so everything is brand new. When I go to Tennessee Temple as a freshman, I found... You know, John three sixteen for the first time. I'm marking my Bible for the. You first. didn't have a Bible, <laughs> did you? Yeah, well, when I went to Temple, oh, I did. did. Yeah, okay. but not when I was in high Growing school up, and did. got saved. Yeah. And, and so anyway, uh, it it we would sing that song there at Temple. Yes. Okay. And so I kind of brought that to Cedarville, and it just took off. It almost became like. Uh, the alma the mater, yeah. yeah, and and I can't tell you the number of graduates who have it, who tell me they had it use it in their wedding, yeah, and, and the infamous stories about uh, the people who have lost a loved one, and the only thing you know to do is just start singing "Christ is all I need." Yeah. So it's it's been a wonderful song. It is a wonderful song, and I'll I'll give you a, a, another shout out because there have been times. Um, in my life that maybe I'm discouraged, I'm sad, or whatever the emotion that I'm feeling is. But I, I've, I've thought of you and the song, Christ is All I Need, and I sing it either internally or externally, and it makes the world a difference. It brings me out of looking at my situation from my perspective and realizing Christ is all I need. So I want to thank you for um, ministering to me, even though you didn't know you were ministering yeah. to me. It's fabulous. Well, yeah. it's a wonderful song. Yeah. It's a wonderful truth. It is. It mm -hmm. is. So as you think about your 25 years as president and now, uh, what, uh, 18 years as chancellor now, uh, it's quite a longevity. What are some of your favorite memories about Cedar, your time at Cedarville University? Well, there would be many. Uh, uh, certainly just those memories around people. Uh, I've probably said this week to two or three different individuals in different contexts, there's only two things that matter in life, God and people. Yep. And so we are so people-oriented, and a lot of it would have to do with students. Yeah. I mean, everything from the girls at Faith Hall, I, I always love cars. And so I've had some pretty cool cars, and I used to drive a Jaguar in one period of time. 
and these girls wanted to ride in the Jaguar. So I'd walk out of my office on my way to chapel, and there'd be eight girls wanting to ride in the Jaguar to chapel. So I'd crowd them in and drive them over to chapel, just things like that. Yeah. That, And I would love eating in the dining hall with the kids and mm-hmm. ask me anything you want. Why was that important? Oh, it just... And what did that do? Well, as far as why it was important, you have to know that's one of the values of a Christian college. Uh, We weren't so big and had so much going with the state legislature that the president didn't have time for the students. Yeah, And so it was just so crucial to be with the students in every context. And along with that, when you talk about memories, Pat talked about we had a number of students killed in auto accidents during my tenure. Yeah, I would be in the dormitories. I'd be there to to to, to as they cried, as they heard about it, and mm-hmm. cry with them and pray with them. And so we tried to be there with the students during their difficult times. Yeah. Uh, so those are some of my memories: the good times, the bad times, the answers to prayer. Yeah, I have to tell you that when I was an evangelist for 14 years, I kept prayer lists for every church. I asked them to list the men who needed to be saved. Mm. I was in my office at home in the last week. I still have that pack of all those prayer requests from those local churches, you know, over 50 years ago. Many of those people, I don't pray over them, and many of them are deceased now. Yeah. But I can tell you that in those meetings, when somebody got saved who was on that prayer list, what that did for the church, what it did for me, right. answered prayer. And so that's what we witnessed here. When, we, when I told you that we didn't have a bank who would stand with us, and bankers told me, Paul, you won't find anybody. I said, yes, we will. Just watch. God's going to do it. It took a while. But that was an answer to prayer. And you'd had some of those men in those banks who turned you down who would, when they'd see you, would say, worst mistake I ever made, not investing in Cedarville. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you ever envision, and Mrs. D, you can answer this too, did you guys ever envision um, Cedarville becoming what it is today? I mean, what was it when, how many students were here when, when you took over the presidency? 1,185. 1,185, so now we're at 4,550 and growing still. Did you ever envision not just the, not just in terms of size, but just in terms of the quality of student and faculty? No, I'd say we didn't because you think about all the programs that have been added to Cedarville yeah. from being just a liberal arts institution to having all these engineering and right. nursing and pharmacy, et cetera. Yeah, it, I would. I don't think we would have thought all that. No, we, like I, I said earlier, it's not like, you know, a year after we were here, we said, oh, this is going to happen. And had right. the, uh, I was big into strategic planning. Okay. Eisenhower said plans are nothing. Planning is everything. Mm. And so to think strategically, the problem with most planning is they become, quote, unquote, long-range plans that go into a book and go on somebody's shelf and never change anything. Yeah. Strategic planning affects the organization on a daily basis. You think 
strategically. And that's kind of what happened at Cedarville and kind of how it all became, you know, what what it is today. Yeah. Well, before I wrap, move toward the last few questions on the podcast, I just want to personally thank you for both of you guys for your service and ministry at Cedarville University. We are today because of what you laid the groundwork back in the day. And you built off the, the history of Dr. Jeremiah. And mm-hmm. so thank you for, for all what you have done. And uh, we are the school because of it. Let me also say, Mark, that uh, I, I, I want everyone to know that I am so thankful for Dr. White. Right. And uh, as Pat has indicated, Dr. White, Joy, they came into here. They didn't have a background in Christian liberal arts education. And he from he called me the very day that the trustees made that decision. And I was honored that he would do that mm-hmm. and call me and indicate to me that he'd like to be a, a part of me to be a part of it all. Yeah. You have to understand that is not the norm. Mm-hmm. It, and re, you talk about for Dr. Jeremiah and for me, uh, neither one of us thought of ourselves as being above the other. We yeah. respected each other. Yeah. And that's the feeling I get with Dr. White, too. The only way these things work is you have to put away ego. Right. Mm-hmm. Two leaders with pride can't work together. Right. No, absolutely right. I won't go back uh, to you mentioned that um, you didn't uh, accept Christ till your senior year in high school. Tell us a story that led you to uh, believing in Jesus and, and how he's just um, led you along the way. I had a wonderful family, a mother and a father. We were not a church-going family. I believe my mother knew the Lord. My dad didn't. He came to know Christ when he was 61 years old, eight months before he died. Wow. But uh, a lot of my friends were Christians who would take me to church with them. I went to the Christian church, the Methodist church, the Assemblies of God revival meeting. So I, I experienced church. Yeah. But... At Norwood High School in the middle of Cincinnati, we had a number of kids killed my senior year in auto wrecks. And the superintendent brought in a new pastor in town to slow us down. He had no idea he was going to preach the gospel. Yeah. And Pastor Seidler, Mitchell S. Seidler, stood up there and preached the gospel. I'd, I'd never heard it before about the sufferings of Christ on the cross. I walked out of that chapel just kind of stayed in my heart and mind. And that Sunday night, I'd never been to church in a Sunday night in my life. I drove my car up in front of the Norwood Baptist Church, and I'm talking to myself, and I said, Dixon, what are you doing here? Mm. Why are you here? Well, God had me there. I walked in, and that night I gave my heart to Christ. And I determined to go to school the next day with a Bible on top of my books. I didn't have a Bible. So my mother told me she'd ordered one from the Encyclopedia Britannica. And so we had this big, thick Bible put it on top <laughs> of my books. And, and I was determined to win every kid in my senior class to Christ. That's how it all started. 
Yeah. It was a God thing. Yeah. Evangelism, living for the Lord, serving the Lord. And that from the start to this day, that's kind of the heartbeat. And it's a God thing. Yeah. So for some people, you know, they accept Christ at a young age and 10 years later, they really come to more fruition of understanding of what that meant. For you, it was like lights on, you're moving forward for the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, and it's just been watching him tell him about our verse of Scripture, honey. We took as our verse when we started dating. Psalm 27, no, Psalm 37, 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Yeah. And she had it engraved on my wedding band. Oh, nice. And it's been that way all mm -hmm. these years. He's ordered yeah. our steps. It's yeah. the sovereignty of God. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great lesson for all. Um, I'm going to end the podcast in a unique way. I hope, hope, I hope uh, you're willing to follow suit here. So what I'm really like to do is, you know, those who know you, the Cedarville community, know that you're all about quality stamped all over. But they also know you're all about Christ is all I need. Would you sing that stanza? for us as we close the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a bold request. Yeah. She, 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 you both can do it. Yeah, yeah, oh, we will. We'll do both of us. Before we close the podcast yeah. and sing that, though, about Christ is all I need and God guiding our steps, one of the great things he did for us was give us Scott. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, God only gave us one child. Yeah. And... Uh, he has been such a blessing and such a wonderful son. And then he, God gave him Sarah. And I can't, we just can't say enough for Sarah. And Sarah was one of your students, right, Mrs. D? Yes, she was. She was yeah. my advising. Yeah. Yeah. Never and, dreamed he would date her, but it happened. <laughs> yeah. And then God has given them five children. So when we talk about the Lord and his leading, we cannot close this without talking about the family. Sure. He's given us two. You want to start it, huh? You start it, but don't start too high, okay? <laughs> yeah, finding the right key for me has always been right. a good. Christ is all I need. Christ is all I need. All, all I need. Christ is all I need. Christ is all I need, all, all I need. Mm. Forgive I, I, those notes. <laughs> I couldn't think of a better way to end the podcast well, with Dr. Paul Dixon. That you would ask. Thank you for thank <laughs> yes. you for singing. Thank you for spending time in in our makeshift studio for the yeah. podcast uh, it was a delight to spend time with you enjoyed I, it again you guys are treasures for, for the university thanks thank again you. for joining me today thank you thank you for listening to the cedarville stories podcast brought to you by cedarville university if you were encouraged by today's episode share it with a friend please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider and connect with us at cedarville on twitter instagram and facebook and be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.